Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois And by EasternChristianMedia.com A broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's EasternChristianMedia.com Christ is risen. Indeed, He is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo. As we are still in the radiant season of our Lord's Resurrection. This is the Sunday after our Lord's Resurrection, the Pascha, the Sunday after Pascha. And it's a Sunday in the Byzantine Church, in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, of Thomas Sunday, Sunday of St. Thomas the Apostle. And the theme or the sort of the charism of this Sunday in the Eastern churches is one of a kind of a coming together, a homecoming. The reason is because this is the first time that all the apostles, this time including Thomas, were together again in the upper room. And Christ appears to them coming through the door. Although the door was locked, he appears to them in his now resurrected, spiritualized body. And they are all together once again. And so our program today is about bringing together, or coming together, a coming together of the church, East and West, a coming together of our program with the memory of its patron. From whence we get the name, Light of the East, John Paul II in 1995 wrote a magnificent document on the Eastern churches called Orientali Lumen, which means Light of the East. And we're bringing together the East and the Western lungs of the church, as John Paul II so often referred to, the church, and in the person of myself and also our guest today, Katrina Zeno. Welcome, Katrina Zeno, to Light of the East, Christ is Risen. Thank you, Father Tom. It's great to be here. Katrina Zeno, she's a friend of ours here at Light of the East and a personal friend of mine. And she is the co-foundress of the Women of the Third Millennium. Find out about that. You can go to WTTM.org, WTTM.org, co-founder of Women of the Third Millennium. And also, she's the author of three books, Discovering the Feminine Genius, When Life Doesn't Go Your Way, and the body reveals God. Now, the first two, Discovering the Feminine Genius, are available online and e-versions. And then there's also their book, The Body Reveals God. Where is that available? Uh, that's uh, available from my website. Oh, okay. Again, WTTM.org. Uh, currently, Katrina Zeno is a coordinator of the John Paul II Resource Center for Theology of the Body and Culture for the Diocese of Phoenix, Arizona. 
Welcome again to Light of the East. On Thank this you. It's a great, incredible. great day to be here. Yes, in fact, one of the reasons you are here, and you and you and I together are here, because we uh, we have a sort of a coming together on certain points with John Paul II. Well, let's reminisce a little bit about that for a moment. First of all, we go back to the time of his passing. Yes. Do you remember where you were? I remember graphically <laughs> where he was, uh, where I was. Excuse me. I was actually with you. Well, we were giving a retreat together for the Eastern Church, for the Byzantine Church, outside of Cleveland. And we had finished the retreat for the day, and we had gone to the church, and we were praying, awaiting divine liturgy, and the bells were ringing. And after the bells stopped ringing, an announcement was made that John Paul II had passed into eternity. And that memory is engraved in my mind, and I actually consider it really a privilege to have shared that moment with you. And I consider it a privilege as well. It was so providential, the fact that the two of us who have been committed to this message of John Paul II, because it is a message of convergence, it's a message that converges East and West, because East and West both are founded in the idea of a God who is Trinity, a union and communion of persons, and that the human person is an image of that Trinitarian God in our very nature as humans, body and soul together. Well, as you like to say, it's the both and. <laughs> exactly. And so it's what an appropriate and. expression of the both and, and, and likewise in the Roman rite, it's the Feast of Divine Mercy. Now that's interesting. That's another reason why our program today is about a coming together, a convergence point, the sort of the convergence of complementarity, east and west, and also body and soul, matter and spirit as we see in John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Interesting that he did pass away on the eve of Divine Mercy Sunday. And the reason why this is significant for our program today, especially, is because today, as I mentioned, is the Sunday of St. Thomas, or Thomas Sunday, Thomas the Apostle. And what I find remarkable about this, and the fact that John Paul II passed away, he of all people, who passed away on the eve of Divine Mercy, which for the Eastern churches was the eve of Thomas Sunday, is remarkable because it's all about the coming together of complementarity. And there's an amazing similarity I have found in this celebration. Now, the feast day, it's now a feast day of the Roman calendar, is it not? The, yes, the... yes. John Paul II declared it the fe a feast day that the first Sunday after Easter would be henceforth known as Divine Mercy Sunday. It's amazing because <laughs> the theme in the Eastern calendar of Thomas Sunday has that same kind of sort of tone or charism to it. It's, it's a, really, it's a Sunday of mercy, of God's mercy. Because here we have the doubting Thomas, and yet what does Christ do? He could have reprimanded them, right? In fact, there are other times when he did reprimand the, the, the apostles for not believing in him or, his res, or the resurrection, but this time he didn't do it. What he does is in all mercy, he exposes his body to him, his, his, the nail prints, you know, the wounds of his body, and he tells Thomas, just go ahead and touch it. Touch it and believe. And Thomas touches it, he touches those wounds, and precisely because of the wounds in a body that is at the same time spiritualized, Thomas pronounces the most important words in the entire Bible. In other words, the whole of Scripture, the whole of Scripture is dedicated to getting we human beings to be able to say about Jesus Christ that he is our Lord and God. My Lord and my God. So and there he takes, as we say in the fact of liturgical text, it says, O marvelous wonder! The lack of faith gave birth to a certainty of faith. When Thomas said, unless I see, I will not believe, 
Therefore, when he touched your side, he acknowledged that you were the incarnate Son of God, and knew that you truly suffered in the flesh. And thus he proclaimed your resurrection from the dead, saying, My Lord and my God, glory to you. So here we have, again, the meeting point of doubt, your lack of faith, and also of faith. Of faith, exactly. Lack of faith giving rise to faith. Why? Because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. He could very well have cast Thomas out for doubting, for being late, for one thing. (laughs) And also uh, for the fact that all that he went through his suffering and death, and the fact that Thomas would still doubt. And there's Christ standing right in front of him. And he's still doubting. He says, I won't believe unless I touch. I have to see and touch for myself. But isn't that the way we are? We're tangible people. I think it's fascinating Christ didn't just use words to bring him to faith, but that he actually, once again, he revealed his body to him. So to me, it hearkens to the road to Emmaus, Mm -hmm. where Christ opens their minds to the scriptures, but they don't recognize him till the breaking of the bread. They don't recognize him till they encounter him in his Eucharistic body. And the same thing we see here. And, you know, it's a Eucharistic illusion that we, we don't know a person except through his or her body. Exactly. And even Christ in his glorified state is not an angel. As no. you said, he, he has a spiritualized body, or we could say he has a glorified body. And so what Christ reveals to Thomas is his glorified body, and that's what provokes the profession of faith. And in the theology of the body, John Paul talks about, he kind of goes through the whole sort of anthropological history of the human person. And we, we, he kind of breaks it down where we like to, to present it as basically three phases, so-called original man, historical, and eschatological, correct? Correct. And Mary Healy, who writes and speaks on theology of the body, often likes to refer to eschatological man as glorified humanity. I like that very much because a lot of us don't know what eschatological means, that it means the end of time when Christ comes back again, but we know what glorified means. In fact, once again, in in the prayers, we like that in the Eastern Church too. We use that word glorified. In, In the prayers for today, we actually say, manifesting the brightness of your divinity, you appeared even though the doors were closed, the Lord. We keep repeating that detail. And that detail is found in John's account of of the appearance of Christ in the upper room with Thomas. It's in chapter 20 of John, verse 26. And again, he, he makes note of that detail. It says, Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. You know, it just... To me, when I read that, I just get this sense of mercy, of tenderness. Like, everything's okay, Tom. Sorry, I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to reprimand you, <laughs> your lack of faith. It's okay. Just go ahead. Just, just touch me. It's all right. Don't be afraid. Just put your hand right there. And when he does, he's transformed. It, it's an amazing passage, an amazing, I think, act of mercy on the part of Jesus Christ. And what's, I, I've always been fascinated ever since John Paul II really established this, this um, devotion of divine mercy and then made it a feast day. And, of course, <laughs> he passed away on the eve of that feast day. Uh, again, can't help but see the providence in that. I couldn't help seeing so much providence in that because, as an Eastern Catholic, knowing the theme of Thomas and the fact that this feast day gets established in the West on the Sunday after Easter, which for us is Thomas Sunday, with that similar theme of Christ's mercy. And even the icon, the imagery, is so 
remarkably similar, at least in my mind, is the, from the, the icon of Thomas, the icon for Thomas Sunday and the icon of Divine Mercy, remarkably similar in many, many ways. How is that, Father Tom, for those of us who've never seen the icon of Thomas? Well, we're going to talk about that when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya here with our special guest, Katrina Zeno, co-founders of the Women of the Third Millennium on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. There is no such thing as a homosexual. I am Father Thomas J. Loya with a Theology of the Body moment for the Tabor Life Institute. The language of our bodies says that our bodies were created for the other gender. In this sense, there is really no such thing as a homosexual. There were only persons worthy of dignity and respect who through no fault of their own believe they have a sexual attraction to the same gender. It is not compassionate, sensitive, or honest to size someone up, label them, and dismiss them. This is why the church who is truly compassionate, does not label people homosexual. The church calls same-sex attraction a disordered attraction. This simply means that the attraction did not develop according to the order of creation and to the language of our gendered bodies. But hey, unless you are the Blessed Virgin Mary, every human being, thanks to original sin, is in some way sexually disordered. To find out more about the theology of the body, visit TaborLife.org. TaborLife.org. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Have you ever heard of a Byzantine Catholic? Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Catholic moment. Pope John Paul II said that the Church must breathe with both its lungs, East and West. The Catholic Church is composed of various rites and jurisdictions within these rites. The Byzantine rite is one of the rites from the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. The Latin rite is a rite of the Western lung of the Catholic Church. Over time, tensions arose between the two lungs of the church and they finally split from each other in 1054 AD. The Western lung became known as the Roman Catholic Church or Latin Rite and it was centered in Rome. The Eastern lung became known as the Eastern Orthodox Churches and they had four centers, Alexandria, Constantinople, Antioch, and Jerusalem. Beginning in the 15th century, parts of the Eastern Orthodox Churches and the Latin Rite began reuniting again, thus creating what we know today as the Eastern Catholic Churches. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East on this Sunday of Thomas, still within the radiant, radiant season of the resurrection. Thomas Sunday in the Eastern calendar, the Apostle Thomas, and also Divine Mercy Sunday in the Western calendar as a result of John Paul II establishing that feast day. And our special guest today is Katrina Zeno from the Western Lung of the Church. <laughs> so we have Thank you. the great convergence point here on Light of the East today, which is the theme of Thomas Sunday in the Eastern calendar. It's a converge, it's kind of a coming together. In fact, it's the custom in our parishes to have a dinner and to bless a large bread called the Artos, and we divide that up among all the parishioners, the idea that we have all come back together again, like the apostles were in that upper room for the first time after they had scattered because of Christ's you know, resurrection and his death, which they didn't understand, they were frightened. They eventually started to come back together. Thomas was not with them the first time. 
Second time around, he's with them, and Christ appears to him in this wonderful act of mercy, which gives rise to Thomas's pronouncement of profound faith, which, of course, is our story. And as I mentioned before the break, the similarities between Divine Mercy Sunday and Thomas Sunday in the Eastern calendar, I think, are remarkable, Katrina. And one of the things I mentioned was even in the icon, if you look at the icon itself, the Byzantine icon, you see Christ in the center, kind of, and he's sort of pulling back his, his robe, exposing his side, which is very close to his heart, and his arm is raised up. He's like gesturing. He's like inviting, just like in the Divine Mercy image. And from that side, we see what's going to become then really that, that mercy, that truth, because Thomas then puts his hand gently into the side, into the very wounds itself. And the posture of Christ in there, I can't help but see a great similarity and sort of the overall character of it, what has become the popular or established image of divine mercy. Well, and also in the icon that we have here we're looking at, around the wound in Christ's side are both red and white. Yes, colors, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. They're not rays as we have, but you have both the red and the white Mm -hmm. symbolism that you have as well in the divine uh, mercy image to, to symbolize many, many things. The blood and the water, mm-hmm. you know, grace and mercy, the sacraments of the Eucharist and baptism. And on the icon of the crucifixion, the Byzantine icon of the crucifixion, you have the red and the white coming from his side, from the wound. Sometimes it even it's coming out almost like two streams, like, like a fountain, of course, symbolizing Eucharist and, and baptism, you know, the pure waters of baptism, which again, is all about the sign and our invitation to literally participate, to be immersed in Christ's mercy. <laughs> yes, that is our call. I, I'm particularly struck uh, in the account of Thomas and his encounter with the risen Christ, as you had mentioned before about the wounds, because it was many years before I realized how critical the wounds were, mm-hmm. that the wounds are what testified to us that the same body that was put in the grave is the same body that was raised. And because Christ is the image of every single person, then he's also the image that our same body that's put Mm -hmm. in the grave is the same body that will be raised. I think a lot of people have this misimpression that we get some type of an angelic body Mm -hmm. that's kind of ethereal and doesn't really have much substance to it. And you mentioned earlier that he appeared even though the room was locked, and yet he also asked, give me something to eat. Right. So you're talking about this convergence, his Mm -hmm. glorified body somehow is not bound by time and space, and yet on the other hand, it has a physicality to it because he eats. Right. And so so our glorified bodies, our spiritualized Mm -hmm. bodies, still have this dimension of physicality, and yet they are not bound by time and space. And what an incredible gift that we will receive in our glorified bodies. Although I have experienced many people when I tell them that, that, you know, get used to your body because it'll be with you for all eternity. (laughs) As a matter of fact, yes, many people, they don't laugh. They actually gasp. Yes, I know, because for few people are happy with their bodies. You know, they think of it as just as the body as they have now. But it's going to be a glorified, a spiritualized body, not not angelic where, where the where the body is so de-emphasized you're just sort of there it's gonna be very real just as we see in this event as you say katrina everything that happens with christ and i keep preaching this to my people from the pulpit and remember whatever happens to christ is going to happen to us same thing with the blessed mother christ and his mother are the new adam the new eve 
And we will participate in the new Adam and the new Eve in our glorified state in heaven. You know, you mentioned about people thinking of a sort of an angelic body, but you know, a lot of people, Katrina, they don't even think that we'll get a body. And it, you know, because we, we, we speak in a sense in dualism, we say we're gonna, we want to save our souls. Correct. Or we have to pray for the souls in purgatory or, you know, that damages my soul. Yes. It's true. And part of that is because of the language of the Old Testament. Yes. They didn't quite have the same language that we do. So it often uses, you know, my soul pines for the living God. And so we tend to identify ourselves with the soul and think that the body is just temporary housing. Yes, right. Like it's just, yeah, there's temporary housing that we'll be emancipated from in heaven. Right. And I rent my and... body while I'm here on earth till, you know, yeah. I get rid of it. But, and again, this is why the encounter with Thomas is so critical. Yes. Because Christ didn't, once again, even hide his body from him. He manifested his body just like at the incarnation, the manifestation of the body of Christ. That's what the shepherds went to see. And again, in the, the genius of the church's prayer, which communicates our belief, our theology, it says this. This is from the Vesper service for Thomas Sonny in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It says that he confessed you to be neither an abstract God nor merely human. And he cried out, my Lord and my God, glory to you. So just as you're saying in, the, in our glorified body, or John Paul II used the term eschatological, it means the last things, in other words, in heaven, how things will be in heaven, our ultimate destiny will be a glorified body, reunited with our souls, glorified, spiritualized somehow. And again, going back to that detail, Christ goes through the door. You know, they thought he was like a ghost, so he must have passed right through the door, you know, the wooden door, they were locked. These, I mean, these apostles, you have to remember, they were frightened, they were hiding. Yes, because they were under persecution, they didn't know what happened to, you know, their master, leader, savior. Yes. crucified, dead, gone. What you know, they really their their life had been suddenly smashed to smithereens. Mm-hmm. So I would be frightened as well. Yeah, they did they did not quite understand. They had to grow in their understanding of the resurrection, well, the reality of the resurrection. And also the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. Yes. So, so the Holy Spirit <laughs> is critical in understanding this profession of faith. I also think taking it back to mer- to God's mercy, wouldn't it be transformative if we thought about God's mercy is that we receive our bodies back. Yes. I think that would be quite a change for us, but it's because, as you said, it's our glorified humanity. And to be a human person is always to be this integrated composite of body and soul. And so for us to only have a soul would not be God's mercy. Yes. It, it, it would leave us in an incomplete, imperfected state. You know, Katrina, I often apply that same thinking to the question of, like, the end of the world, so-called end of the world. What would it really be like? Would God really take this earth that he has made, just as you're saying with our body, this beautiful earth, which is the garden of the universe, the sacrament of the universe? I mean, it is beautiful. I mean, I grow every moment in my appreciation of the beauty of this earth. You know, in one sense, I... I don't want to die in, a, in the sense of because I don't want to leave this earth. I understand completely <laughs> you know? with, you know, the mystical vision, with seeing yes. mystically. Every moment is pregnant with God, every flower, yes. even every raindrop. Uh, and so to think that 
you know, as some people predict, that this creation would just be obliterated, you know, the apocalyptic vision. Yes. It's difficult for me as well because, in fact, Revelation even talks about not just a new heaven, but a new earth. Yes. And that all creation groans for the revelation of the sons of men. So this is where I think we really start to penetrate into mystery. We do. What does a new heavens and a new earth look like? Gosh, all we can really speak about is really what we know of Christ's glorified body and, of course, Mary. Yes, and the human person is a microcosm of the cosmos, the universe. And in in reverse, the universe, in a sense, is is sort of a macrocosm of the human person. So if the human person, if we get back our physical body made of the earth, you know, things of the earth, and we get that back, and that's going to be glorified, reunited with our soul, then I would have to think that the earth itself is going to be you know, re- somehow, like you said, renewed, not destroyed, obliterated. I don't know, you know, that's always been kind of a strange concept to me. And But again, I think we have a hint of it, a kind of a prophecy of it from what happened to Christ. And oftentimes we, we can't imagine our, our bodies being brought back and reunited with our souls. But we have to remember it's a glorified, spiritualized body, somehow transfigured, transformed. And that's the great hope and really, the, the great, great sign, as you say, Katrina, of God's mercy. Well, I want to thank you for being with us today on this Sunday of Divine Mercy. Thank you, Father Tom. Yeah. It's been just a delight to be here with you. And the Sunday of St. Thomas, which to me is one of the same, because it's all about Christ's mercy. And again, Katrina Zeno, our guest today, co-founders of Women of the Third Millennium. And you can find out about her by going to WTTM.org. Thank you again. Katrina, and thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Christ is risen on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois 60491. That's Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>